an A to Z of believing, from atheism to zealotry. Written and presented by Dr. Ed Kessler, founder director of the Wolf Institute. Program 23, W for words. The word is the means by which we navigate our relationship with the world. In the end, words are all we have. Tony Judd. The vocabulary of religion is not straightforward. Even the word itself is uncertain. Is religion derived from Middle English meaning life under monastic vows? Or from the Latin religio for reverence or religiare to bind? I'm unsure, as are my academic colleagues. What we do know is that by the fourth century, the concept of religion, as developed by Christianity, represented a practice that committed the believer to a set of rules and beliefs rather than behavior. One could argue that by this definition, neither Judaism nor Islam are religious. Likewise, the OED's definition of religion as the belief in and worship of a superhuman controlling power, especially a personal god or gods, implies that Buddhism is not either. The origin of words causes difficulty. The term Holocaust, for example, refers to the years 1933 to 45, during which six million Jews and five million others, including Roma, gays, Jehovah's Witnesses, communists and the disabled, were murdered. Etymologically, Holocaust is a transliteration of the Greek meaning burnt offering. Unsurprisingly, many people do not like to use a term that has sacrificial overtones as if appeasing God. The word Shoah, which has connotations of destruction and rupture, is preferred in interfaith dialogue. Ah, oh, here we go again. Dialogue. When it includes a third party, it's sometimes referred to as trialogue. But this presupposes, incorrectly, that die in dialogue means two. In fact, the word dialogue from Greek means through words, i.e. discussion without indication of number. This brings us on to the topic of translation. One of my favorite set questions for the Bible paper is, is all translation interpretation? The answer is yes, no, and maybe. It's virtually impossible to translate perfectly from Hebrew or Greek or Arabic into English or into any other language without losing some flavor of the original. Yet this has not prevented a translation being regarded as authoritative as, if not more authoritative than, the original. Who doesn't love the King James Bible of 1611? And most people who read the Bible do so in translation. The translation process is difficult partly because of the way language is structured. Some translations bring incidental changes. For example, in English, the words book, scribe, literature, library, and to relate a story have discrete etymologies. In Hebrew, the relationship between all these words is maintained because they derive from the single root safar, creating the possibility of a double entendre, which is difficult if not impossible to translate from one language to another. Sometimes a translation may be extremely close to the sacred text, but its rendering into a different language may result in its own nuances. For example, the biblical command in Exodus, sometimes translated as you shall not kill, is incorrectly, in terms of grammar, used as a basis for arguing for the merits of pacifism. The translation closest to the Hebrew is you shall not commit murder. Another example of these difficulties is the cry of dereliction that the Gospels record Jesus reciting in Aramaic on the cross. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? The Hebrew text of a later verse, Psalm 22, reads, 
and I quote, like lions they maul my hands and feet, but the Septuagint, the Greek translation has, they have pierced my hands and feet. The difference being caused by the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet Yod, which if elongated by a tiny amount becomes a Vav. In scriptural arguments between Jews and Christians, the elongation of this one letter has amounted to much more than a technicality. The phrase can be understood to represent either the despair of the psalmist or the redemptive voice of Jesus Christ. Even the term for the Christian canon has an intricate history. The designation New Testament means New Covenant from the Hebrew Berit. In the Old Testament, covenant is a sacred agreement expressing the sovereign power of God who promises to fulfill his words to his people Israel, who have only to be faithful and obey. In the New Testament, the concept is reinterpreted through the experiences of the early Christian community and represents a new phase in the covenant story of Israel. A change in emphasis is marked by the translation of Berit into the Greek diatheke, decree, where it acquires the meaning of a definitive last will and testament on the part of God. The Vulgate, the Latin translation, used the word testamentum, which became the official designation of both parts of the Christian Bible and which we still use today, the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you find this complicated, let me tell you, it is. So I end with one final example. Which term do you apply to a strip of land along the Mediterranean that became the birthplace of the Hebrew Bible? It lies at an extraordinary location, offering the only available land route between Asia and Africa. To the west is the Mediterranean Sea, to the east a mountainous, virtually impassable stony desert. Located between Mesopotamia to the north and Egypt to the south, whoever controlled that strip of land controlled the major land route for trade or military activity between the great empires that rose and fell. What is that land called? Israel? Palestine? Holy Land? Promised Land? Occupied Land? As Mark Twain said, you pays your money and you takes your choice.